Mark chapter 9. If you're able to, stand with me as we read the scriptures this morning. I promise I will stick close to my notes this morning. I have 12 pages of them. I had 14 last night, so let's all say a prayer of thank you to the Lord. I cut out some of it. I cut out whatever I felt I could cut out without impeding on what the Lord wanted me to say. But we're going to talk about revival this morning. Mark chapter 9, let's start in verse number 17. And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, but they could not. He answered, answereth him and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him. And when he saw him straightway, the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming. And he asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said of a child. And oftentimes he hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. And Jesus saw the people came running together, and he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him, and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried out, and rent him sore, and came out of him. And he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, and lifted him up, and he arose. When he was come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast him out? And he said unto them, This kind cometh forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Let's pray. Our Father, speak to us this morning, Lord. We need revival in our midst. We need... I'm so... I'm so tired of church as usual. I'm so tired of man-made programs and man-made, man-derived programs to build the church. We don't seek revival, first of all, to build the church. We seek revival to draw ourselves nearer to you. But the result of revival is that people are saved and brought into the church. Lord, I don't want this to be a church of strategic planning, but of total surrender. We thirst, we yearn for a move of God in our midst. We've read books. We know in history, in recent history, these moves have happened. It's happened in the Great Awakening. It's happened in New Hebrides. It's happened in Wales. It's happened in Cane Ridge. It's We've seen power in the lives of people like George Mueller and Reese Howells and Corey Ten Boom. People who were mighty in prayer and saw mighty answers to prayer. We saw it in the scriptures. We see it in the book of Acts. 
Great things accomplished through prayer. Lord, we seek something beyond just church as normal. The nominal Christian life will not do in the evil world that we live in today. We cannot survive playing defense our whole lives. It's time to attack the enemy. It's time to seek the Lord. And it's time for us to recognize that we don't have the power to do that. And so we seek you. We seek you, Lord. Move in our midst this coming year. Do great things among us. Do great things in us. Revival starts here in my shoes. Revive my heart, Lord. I don't want to hear you've left your first love. I don't want to hear saved yet so as by fire. I want to hear well done. If we're going to be good and faithful servants, it must come from you working in us. And so as we approach a new year, Lord, we offer ourselves to you as a church, as people, as Christians, as families. Do with us as seems good to you. We love you, Lord. Apply this message to our hearts as you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I come from a long line of churches that would have a theme every year. Boy, I, I hated that. I never saw the point of a theme. It was meaningless. It was never, nothing was ever attempted by the theme, right? We'd have a theme, but we'd never really strive for that theme. It just became a banner on the wall of the church until the next year. When I came here, I never wanted to have a theme for that reason. I don't anticipate this becoming a yearly tradition of mine. But I feel strongly led to have one for this coming year. I was laying in bed a few weeks ago, staring into the darkness and thinking, how dangerous that can be, and a phrase came to my mind. This kind comes not out but by prayer and fasting. That's all I had. I didn't know what was meant by that. I went to sleep. I tried to make sense of it the next couple of days and apply it. About two weeks later, I had this strong desire out of nowhere. We should have a theme for next year. I think I told my wife, she's like, really? We should have a theme for next year. Okay. Over the last year, I've been and you know this, I've been exercised greatly in regards to prayer. So when I got the, the idea for a theme, I said, well, the, the obvious theme is in all things by prayer and supplication. So when the Lord's leading you, you don't have the right to decide those things. The very next day at church, after church, we're having a conversation in the back, and Tatsuo was talking about prayer and fasting. When he was talking about prayer and fasting, Something flashed in my mind. This kind cometh not out, but by prayer and fasting. I began to realize what the Lord was doing. That phrase, 
and the desire for a theme, that was the theme that God wanted us to have for this year. He confirmed it in that simple conversation. I knew God was in this. First, the desire to, well, first getting the theme itself, and then the desire to have that theme. When I veered to a different theme, God steered me back in the right direction. I feel confident that our theme for 2024 is by prayer and fasting. By prayer and fasting. This is going to be a year of prayer and fasting, a year of seeking revival, seeking a powerful manifestation of the Spirit of God among us. I don't want to be, can I be honest with you? Too many Reformed churches are dead today. I mean, they have doctrine, but they don't have any real experiential doctrine of the Holy Spirit. But I believe the Holy Spirit still works today. I believe he does. And I believe that we should seek that work among us. We should seek for it. In this story, in the, our text, a man comes wanting his son to be healed because he has a devil, meaning a demon. He's demon-possessed. The disciples tried to cast it out, but they failed. And Jesus cast it out very easily. They asked, why couldn't we cast it out? And Jesus told them, this kind of demon comes not out, but by prayer and fasting. Now, we're told very little about demons in the Bible. So don't... We don't want to go off and presume stuff into the Bible the Bible doesn't tell us, right? That's how you get a doctrinal error. You start reading into the text. But taking what the Bible tells us, it tells us very little about demons. All we're told is that this demon, this kind of demon, will not come out easily like the others. It takes prayer and fasting. What's meant by prayer and fasting? They failed because some demons are so wicked... Their power is so great, even apostles ordained by Christ to work miracles couldn't affect it. To fast and pray means to focus your energy Godward, allowing Him to work for you. In practical terms, only God could cast out this kind of demon. The apostles tried in their power, and their power was genuine, God-given power to cast out demons. And yet, this demon was so wicked... Only God himself could handle this kind. Let me touch here for just a moment on the subject of demon possession. Skeptics will say the Bible was written in an unenlightened time and mistook mental illness for demon possession. I would say we live in a time of extreme rationalism where we rationalize everything away with a medical diagnosis. That's spiritual. Unfortunately, within the Reformed community, some even deny that demons exist today. That's dangerous, by the way. Now, this boy clearly had mental illness, and a demon had possessed him. This doesn't mean that all demon-possessed people are mentally ill, or that all mental illness is demon possession. The Bible does differentiate. Turn to Matthew 4.24. Let me show you how the Bible differentiates this. Matthew 4, 24. So you guys thought I put the service to 8 p.m. so we can go to midnight, but really I put it to 8 p.m. so I can preach longer this morning. No, I'm just kidding. Matthew 4, 24. 
Matthew 4, 24. The Bible says, And his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments, and those who were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatic, and those that had the palsy, and he healed them. Do you see the differentiation between those who had demons and those who were just lunatic? So there is a mental illness that's not demons, and there is demon possession that's not mental illness. This verse puts differences between the conditions. Conditions may overlap, but they are not in every case synonymous. You can also have the problem of demons causing illness. You say, does that happen? Look at Job. It was the devil who laid his hand on Job's health, with God's permission, of course. And understand, demons are completely under the control. God is sovereign over everything. There is nothing in this cosmos that God is not sovereign over. Every disease, right? Every nation, every person, everything. God is sovereign. But the point I want to make is that the lines are not always cut and dry for pastors or mental health professionals. There are people who suffer from sicknesses of the brain, and those illnesses are like any other body the body may have. But the term mental illness is also a blanket term we've abused to address things that are truly spiritual in nature. I've encountered demon-possessed people. I know Brother Tatsuo has as well. I have seen the spiritual realm enough to know that it's real. One of the problems with the Reformed community is we act as if the spiritual realm doesn't exist. We are functional atheists is what we are. We're rationalists. We're materialists. That's what most people in most churches this morning are doing. You understand that? They live their lives like there is no spirit realm. And then they, they just go to church, and church is their social club, and they do their church thing, and... And they raise their hands and they sway back and forth and they go back and they live their lives as if there's no battle going on around them. Church, we've got to open our eyes to the battle. Do you know why the church is losing the battle? Because the church isn't fighting the battle. Christians are foolish to ignore it. We're also foolish to overindulge in it. Don't go demon hunting. There is an unhealthy obsession that you can have. There's a correlation in the Bible between drug use and the demonic. Since much of our mental health crisis in America is drug-induced, you could say it's demon-induced as well. You drive down Skid Row, that's the work of demons. That's the work of demons. We were listening to a, a podcast the other day, my wife and I, are, I, think I, was telling you, I think I listened to it, I was telling you about it. They were talking about the spiritual and the demonic and these are solid Reformed guys in this podcast. This isn't like, you know, charismatic. This is a Reformed Baptist podcast, not Baptist, Reformed Presbyterian podcast. Anyways, they're talking about, they're talking about a, a football player. Drawing a blank, honey. Aaron Rodgers. Thank you for reading my mind. Football player, Aaron Rodgers. That he would go in his offseason to Peru and meet with these, like, witch doctors who would give him drugs, mind-altering drugs, and he would interact with demons. And it got so bad, he opened the door so wide that when he was in his locker room in Green Bay, he would see figures, shadowy figures, standing in the room with him. Lights turning on and off, lockers opening. See, what, what, that's not just the response of drug use. That is demonic activity. 
and he opened the doors. When you drive down Skid Row, we don't just have a mental health crisis. We don't just have a drug epidemic. We have demons running loose in our city. That's the battle we're up against. Do you understand that? The answer is not just to get them in church, get them to pray a sinner's prayer, get them into rehab and send them on their way. The answer is conversion to Christ. True conversion of the heart. It's my first point this morning. There is a spiritual realm. There is a spiritual realm. The spirit world is real. and It is at war with us. Once you understand this truth, it's hard to go back to life as normal. There are demons in our community. There are demons on our church property. There may be demons at work among us during the worship service, trying to draw our hearts away from Christ. Much of what we see in our culture today is the work of demons. I believe that. I'm not trying to be hyper-spiritual. I'm trying to be honest with you. In the book of Revelation, we see demons being released from the bottomless pit, and their release had real, tangible effect on people, on crops, on weather. Their release had effects on natural things in the natural world. Often I believe that God judges a nation by letting demons run rampant in the nation. Do you believe all of our gender confusion and bloodlust to murder our children is just normal human depravity? No, normal human depravity is the guy that tells a white lie at work. That's depravity. That's sin. Maybe the guy that flirts with the waitress and cheats on his wife. I don't know. Maybe that's... But what we have in America is far more than just human depravity. We have a lust to kill our children. We have people marching and shouting for the right to murder their children. That's not normal. There is a natural affection that even the lost people of this world have should have. We have gender confusion. We don't know who we are or what we are. Do you believe our homosexual lust and all that is just... No, it's, it's never been at levels it's at right now. Nor has society ever... No society before America in history ever changed the definition of marriage to allow for homosexual marriage. That was an argument we used when we were arguing back and forth about before they passed the law legalizing it. Even in, even in those pagan Roman world where they had the, the, the homosexual orgies, they never changed the definition of marriage. We've gone so far. This is not just normal depravity in our culture, people. This is spiritual warfare in our culture. We often compare abortion to the worship of Molech. Do you realize there were real demons behind all of these false gods in the Old Testament? They were worshiping actual demons. Paul says that what they sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils, not to God. There were real demons behind these idols. Do you think that demons have nothing to do with shout your abortion? Think demons have no, yeah, they don't take the form. We're rationalistic today, so we don't we don't we don't really make you know stone statues and give our babies to them. They've taken a different approach. We call them clinics now and healthcare and women's rights and reproductive rights. We have new names, the same same demons. 
Same demons. We're talking about yesterday the abortion clinic. A, a, a Republican governor vetoed a ban on transgender surgeries for kids. Think that's not the work of demons? For years, for years we heard, through all the Obama years we heard, defund Planned Parenthood. Defund Planned Parenthood. Every year a Republican senator would write and introduce a bill to defund, defund Planned Parenthood. You know why he did that? You know why? Because he knew the president wouldn't sign it. But for two years of Trump's presidency, you had a Republican president and Congress. And not one time did Congress write a bill to defund Planned Parenthood. You know why? They were afraid he would sign it. Even the moral party of our country is okay with the murder of our children. Think about that for a minute. You think the demons aren't behind that? Do you think the trans lifestyle, the gay lifestyle, sexual freedom has nothing to do with demons? The demons who are behind these false fertility gods of the ancient world? They're still around. Oh, we can call it politics or policy or health care or rights or whatever you want to call it. It's demon worship. Every gay-affirming church is worshiping demons, I promise you. Every gay-affirming politician is worshiping demons. Every abortion-confirming church and politician or person in America is worshiping demons. We need to come to terms with that, church, because there's a war. There's a war going on. It's not health care. It's not policy. It's not politics. It's spiritual. The evil of our land is spiritual. If you go to other nations, they recognize the supernatural. Americans have been, have been taught to rationalize everything away. And this has blinded us to the true spiritual battle. I think we reject that which we cannot explain. We're uncomfortable with it. We're afraid of being ridiculed by the world or accused of being a crazy charismatic by the church. Our fear has kept us quiet for too long. There's a spiritual battle going on, church. We need to acknowledge this or we're not going to win. We're going to lose if we abdicate our place in the battle. We shouldn't hide from it. We should approach it in a biblical and a balanced way. What does the Bible say? Corey Ten Boom dealt a great deal with this in her travels around the world. She even wrote a book called Defeated Enemies. I recommend it. Joel Beakey wrote a book on Puritan theology. It has a chapter that demonstrates the Puritans took demons very seriously. They were seriously engaged in spiritual warfare. Many today, especially in the Reformed churches, have gotten away from that. We deny it altogether. Listen, they are very real, very wicked, and very powerful. Let me show you from Scripture. Go to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Let's look at what the Bible does say about demons. Luke eleven twenty four. 
Luke eleven twenty four. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he walketh through the dry places, seeking rest and finding none. He saith, I will return unto my house whence I came out. Look at verse 26. Then goeth he and taketh to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. Demons can speak to themselves. I will do this. I will do this. They can speak to other demons. They have a mind. They are conscious and self-aware. Verse 24, the demon refers to himself as I. That's in the first person. We see from these verses they can travel and make plans. Pastor Phil Kaiser of Dominion Covenant Church says this about demons traveling. He said, I grew up in Ethiopia in an animistic province where people were under enormous bondage to demons. On more than one occasion when demons were cast out of people, they said that they were going overseas. Converted witch doctors indicated that this was happening back in the 1960s already. Reinforcements were being sent to attack America. Why? We don't know. Maybe it was because America had sent so many missionaries to Africa and Satan was trying to counteract that effort. We don't know. By the way, it's funny he mentions that that was in the 1960s. When did the American sexual, sexual revolution begin? 1960s. There's a correlation between America's decline and that statement he just made about the demonic. They're not all knowing as God is, but they can learn things. Demons have varying degrees of wickedness. We see that in verse 26, where this demon went to seek out others more wicked than himself. Demons have knowledge of people, places, and events. Turn to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. Acts 19, verse 13. The Bible says, Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had an evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jew, and chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. These demons knew Jesus. They knew Paul. Do they know you and me? I hope by the end of 2024 they know us by name. <laughs> Tatsuo I know. Carmen I know. but They knew who Paul was. Go to Luke 8.28. They recognize Jesus in Luke 8, 28. This is Jesus coming to a demon-possessed man. Luke 8, 28. The Bible says... When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God most high? I beseech thee, torment me not. He knew exactly who Jesus was. Go to Matthew eight twenty nine. They know they're condemned and their date for judgment has been set. Matthew eight twenty nine.
Bible says, And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? I'm not saying all this. The problem is the Bible doesn't say a lot about demons. And where churches go wrong is they start filling in the blanks. We don't need to fill in the blanks, church. We just need to take seriously what the Bible does say about the spirit world. I said all that distressed to the point that we are engaged in a spiritual battle. Demons are very real. I bet if we could see the demons with our eyes, we'd be shocked. Hollywood, I'm sure, is full of them. Most likely state capitals, Washington, D.C., or seats of political power are probably teeming with demons at work. I do believe that Christians have power over demons. This is not something we undertake casually. We need to do spiritual warfare. Too often we don't give deep thought to spiritual warfare. This brings me to my second point. Not only is there a spirit world, but there is a battle to be fought. The second point tonight is that some demons cannot come out by conventional warfare. The disciples had previously cast out demons, yet this one was too great for their power. When Jesus said it takes prayer and fasting, he was saying that it takes his divine power. Prayer is seeking God. If you're not seeking God in your prayers, you're not praying. Right? If you're just giving God a list of wishes, how many times do I, do I need I probably just need to repeat this the rest of my life. God is not a genie. He's not here to grant us three wishes. In prayer, we seek to draw near to God, to know him better, to know his will better. Fasting is a method of spiritual discipline that takes our focus off of the material world and focuses our attention on the spiritual world. It's often taught wrongly that fasting is intended to make ourselves suffer so that God feels sorry for us and does something for us. That's not fasting, church. Fasting is not about moving God towards us, but moving us towards God. It's getting our minds off of the material and onto the spiritual. Our culture is so much more wicked than it has been in previous years, yet we're fighting with outdated weapons. We wonder why we're so spiritually weak all the time. We aren't warring. We aren't on offense. We're playing defense all the time. We're taking the hits, but we're not laying any ourselves. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. You know the verse, but we'll read it together anyways. Ephesians 6, verse 12. I'm working through this faster than I thought I would. I wasn't going to have Jason turn the clock back, but um, I think we'll be okay. <laughs> Ephesians, that would have worked in the days before cell phones, right? Everybody looked, it depended on the clock. Now you can't, unless you change everyone's cell phone, you can't do that. Ephesians 6.12, Paul tells us here, If we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Our battle is not against Hollywood or Disney or Governor Newsom or President Biden. There are demonic forces behind all of these influencing our culture. Our fight's not with the person, it's with the person behind the person. With the spirit behind the person. You need to remember, it's the fervent prayers of the righteous that avail much or accomplish much. 
Too often we pray like we're making requests for a cake at a bakery. Let's stop doing that. We need to battle on our knees for the salvation of the lost. We need to battle on our knees for our society, for our culture, for our leaders. We pray too timidly. We need to stop praying like beggars and pray like warriors. Fasting focuses our attention on the spiritual. We put meal times into prayer and communion with God. There are other ways to fast besides meals, too. Maybe you need to fast from social media, maybe from television. Put that time into seeking God. There's a concept that was popular before the 20th century, and we need to recover it. It's the concept of praying through. We don't do that anymore. Mark Batterson says this, Our generation desperately needs to rediscover the difference between praying for and praying through. There are certainly circumstances where praying for something will get the job done, but there are situations where you need to grab hold of the horns of the altar and refuse to let go until God answers, where you refuse to move from the circle until God moves you. You intercede until God intervenes. Praying through is all about consistency, like the story of Jesus told about the persistent widow who drove the judge crazy with her relentless request, praying through won't take no for an answer. Praying through is all about intensity. It's not quantitative, it's qualitative. It's gut-wrenching groans and heartbreaking tears. Praying through doesn't just bend God's ear, it touches the heart of your Heavenly Father. When was the last time you found yourself flat on your face before the Almighty? When was the last time you cut off your circulation, kneeling before the Lord? When was the last time you pulled an all-nighter in prayer? R.A. Torrey knew something of this. Listen to him. He says, sometimes we pray and pray and pray and are almost up to the verge of attainment of that which we are praying. And right then, when God is just about to answer the prayer, we stop and we miss the blessing. For example, in many churches and many communities, there are people who are praying for revival. And the revival does not come at once. It does not come for some time. And they keep on praying and they have nearly prayed through. They are right on the verge of attaining what they sought. And if they prayed a little longer, the revival would have broken upon them. But they get discouraged and throw up their hands and quit just on the border of the blessing, but they, never, they do not cross into the promised land. In January 1900 or 1901, the faculty of the Bible Institute of Chicago instituted a late prayer meeting Saturday nights from 9 to 10 o'clock to pray for a worldwide revival. After we had been praying for some time, the thing happened. I knew what happened when we began. People came to me. Has the revival come? No, was my answer. Not as far as we can see. When is it coming? We don't know. How long are you going to pray? My answer, until it comes. And come it did. A revival that began in the, there in that prayer meeting, in that prayer meeting room of the Bible Institute of Chicago, and then broke out in faraway China and Japan and Australia and New Zealand and Tasmania and India and swept around the world with most marvelous manifestations of God's saving power. In Wales, for example, under Evan Roberts and others, resulting in 100,000 professed conversions in 12 months. That was the 1904 Welsh revival that began an answer to that prayer. He goes on, I believe that God is looking for us to pray through again. I prayed 15 long years for the conversion of my oldest brother. He seemed to be getting farther and farther away from any hope of conversion. But I prayed on, and one morning, my first winter in Chicago, after 15 years of praying, never missing a single day, God said to me as I knelt in prayer, I have heard your prayer. You need not pray anymore. Your brother is going to be converted. And within two weeks, my brother was in my home, shut in with sickness, which made it impossible for him to leave my home. 
And then the day he left, he accepted Christ over in the Bible Institute in Mr. Moody's office, where he and I went to talk and pray together. Oh, men and women, pray through, pray through. Do not just begin to pray a little and throw up your hands and quit, but pray and pray and pray until God bends the heavens and comes down. Pray. Listen, church, I'm tired of being defeated. I'm done retreating. It's time to act like the army that we are and charge the enemy this year. Pursue our enemies. In Christ, we are victors. In Christ, they are defeated. I'm tired of nominal Christianity. The saints and angels in heaven worship Christ continually. I give him, what, three, maybe four hours a week? And I wonder why I'm defeated all week long. By the way, worship is warfare. It's not just street preaching. What we're doing right now is warfare. What we did at 930 in the prayer room, warfare. In worship beyond the hymn book, Dr. Charles Kraft says this, worship is one of the most important things human beings can do. Not because it feeds God's ego, but because it lines us up with him and against our enemy. Worship is an act of war. It, it is also an act of participation, strengthening our relationship with God and with each other. In worship, we declare that we are on God's side. We declare this to God, to ourselves, to other people, and to the whole spirit realm. Turn real quick to Second Chronicles chapter 20. I'm almost done. Second Chronicles chapter 20. I want to show you an example of this in the Bible. Second Chronicles 20. In this passage, Israel is facing a confederacy coming against them in battle. Jehoshaphat humbles himself and confesses that there's no way they can win this war. He's powerless. By the way, the key to spiritual warfare, church, is not to get ourselves... It's not like, you know, you know, we ever watch professional sports and they get themselves hyped up before the game? This isn't... This isn't uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Huh? Pep rally. I think my wife can read my mind. This is not a pep rally. We don't win by pepping ourselves up. We win by confessing that we can't win in our own power. That's where God works. That's where God works. Second Chronicles 20, look at verse 12. O oh, our God, will thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do. But our eyes are upon thee. And all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. Jehoshaphat put the choir in the front lines. They faced their enemy with worship, and they witnessed mighty deliverance. Through their worship, the Lord confused their enemies and completely destroyed them. Look at verse 20. And they rose up, arose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah. And ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe his prophets, so shall ye prosper. When he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord, and that they should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army, and to say, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. And when they began to sing and to praise the Lord, or, and to praise the Lord set ambushments against uh, the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, utterly to slay and destroy them. 
When they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped to destroy another. And when Judah came toward the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked unto the multitude, and behold, they were dead bodies fallen to the earth, and none escaped. This all started with Jehoshaphat in humble prayer, confessing his inability to the Lord. Then he put the, he put the choir out in front of the army. and said, as we go to battle, we're going to lose. So as we go to lose, just praise the beauty of the holiness of the Lord. Just praise the Lord. We'll go out singing. And they get there, and the Lord defeated all their enemies. What was the response of God to Jehoshaphat's prayer? Look at verse 14. Then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, <coughs> the son of Matanan, him, <coughs> a Levite of the sons of Asaph, came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. The response from heaven was the Spirit falling and empowering the battle. When the church started, we see a lot of great battles, don't we, in the spiritual realm? Just read the book of Acts. How did it start? Ten days waiting upon God, worshiping God, praying to God, and the Spirit fell at Pentecost. We see the great founding of the church in Philippi in Acts 16 with demons being cast out. And those who were, were, were dealing in those demons were being put out of business. So they put Paul and Silas into prison. How do they fight in prison? They sing and they pray. That's warfare. Worship is warfare. And God shook the place and freed them. When Peter's freed from prison, what were they doing? Having a prayer meeting. They were battling for Peter on their knees. We fight in prayer. We fight in fasting. We fight in worship. I believe 2024 will be a year of spiritual battle. I mentioned earlier, I want us to keep a journal of answered prayers and victories in our Christian lives to review at the end of the year. We're going to have more prayer meetings, more hymn sings, because singing is warfare too. We're going to have times of corporate fasting at different times and in different ways. This is not about seeking revival for its own sake. I want you to understand that. It's not an attempt to fill the church with people. I don't care if we end 2024 with the same number of people if those people love Jesus more. That's what revival is about. Now, it tends to spill out when people are saved. They, what I'm saying is the revival is not about them. It's about us. It's about us. It's not a series of meetings or a planned occasion. Martin Lloyd-Jones defines revival as the spirit working in extraordinary measure. It's a repetition, he says, to some degree, of what happened at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell in a powerful way on numerous people simultaneously. According to Lloyd-Jones, revival serves two purposes. Those on the inside of the church are raised up to new level of experience and understanding, and those on the outside are converted and drawn in. For those in the church, there's a new level of understanding of the doctrinal truths and a powerful experience of the Lord's manifest presence. For those outside, there's a powerful evangelistic encounter with the living Lord. Lloyd-Jones believed revival is an extraordinary work of the Holy Spirit because it's marked by this mysterious manifestation of God's presence. This isn't something we can manufacture or market. Revival is the special and sovereign falling of the Holy Spirit's fire. Our job, he says, is to seek him. Like Elijah on Mount Carmel, we're to build the altar and God will send the fire. 
We need the fire church. We need the Spirit of God to move as he moved in days past. How do we receive the Spirit? We ask for him. We seek him. Don't turn there, but listen to Luke eleven thirteen. 13. If you then being evil know how to give good, give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Evan Roberts, one of the leaders of the 1904 Welsh Revival, gave these terms for revival. He says, number one, if there is some sin or sins in the past not confessed, we cannot have the Spirit. We must search and ask the Spirit to search us. If there is some doubtful thing in our lives, it must be removed. Something we say that we don't know if it's right or wrong must be removed. Total surrender to the Spirit must be had. We must do and say all that he asks us to do. And public confession of Christ. You must confess Christ publicly. We're engaged in spiritual battle, church. Angels are real. Demons are real. Our eyes have been closed for far too long. Our doctrinal academic knowledge doesn't frighten the demons. They're not afraid of what we know. They know all that we know. Probably better than we know it. Turn one more time, 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6 will be our last passage. Second Kings chapter 6, and verse number 15. I love this passage here. 2 Kings 6, 15. When the servant of the man of God who has risen early and gone forth, behold, the host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And the servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? In other words, what are we going to do? <laughs> they got us outgunned, outmanned. By the way, church, I'm going to be honest with you. The spiritual war, we're outmanned. Both in demons and in secular, we're outnumbered. Especially in California. Especially in Southern California, we are outnumbered. What are we going to do? He answered, fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountains was full of horses and chariots of fire round about. What I'm praying this year is, God, open our eyes, because we're not really outnumbered. We have a greater army if we'll understand that. Amen. We're not alone in this. You're not alone. I'm not alone right. in this. California seems impossible to reach, doesn't it? L.A. County seems impossible to reach, doesn't it? A small church with no money seems like an impossible candidate to take on the evils of California, doesn't it? I say we confess that to the Lord that we can't do it. We can't do it. Then let's put the praisers out in front. Let's praise the beauty of holiness and let's fight, fight, fight this year. I'll be honest, church, we can't do it. God must do it for us. It's time to launch an offensive against the demons that destroy our nation. Our song of the month for January will be our theme song for the rest of the year. Oh, church, arise. I can't wait to sing that next month every Sunday. Let me close with a practical. How will this vision play out? I've given you my vision. What are we going to do? 
I've outlined an 11-point plan of action for our church this year. We're going to start tomorrow. I'm calling for those who want to participate for a fresh start to the year, a 10-day of waiting upon God. First 10 days of the year to wait upon God. We're going to fast from any social media. Nothing. Stay offline. Give yourself to prayer. Just seeking the Lord. I'm going to lay aside as best I can my smartphone entirely for these days. If you need me, I'll be in the office Monday through Thursday, 8 to 3 during the school hours. Outside of that, you can reach me through my wife's phone. I'll try to check my text messages once a day, but I want to put it away. It's so distracting. Ten days. Put aside distractions. If you don't do social media, put aside television. Put aside something that distracts you. Put aside a novel or a book you're reading. I want us to give ten days to seeking the Lord. The first ten days of the year to seeking God. We're also going to have ten days of corporate prayer. We won't be together in one place, I understand that. But we're going to have set times for the next 10 days. I encourage you to pray at 7 a.m., 12 p.m., and 6 p.m. every day. The prayer room will be open 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. all 10 days if you need to come by and use it. Over these next 10 days, ask for the power of the Spirit. Confess your sins. Praise God in song in your prayers. Praise the beauty of holiness. Now, for some of my vision going beyond the first 10 days of the year, throughout the year, I'm going to call for special days of intercessory prayer or Thanksgiving prayer or prayer for our nation and so on. We'll have days that we set aside to pray for specific things. We will keep the Sunday morning prayer meeting at 930 every Sunday. I'm going to stop the two Fridays a month that we've been meeting for prayer. I'm going to turn that into an every Tuesday prayer meeting. There'll be two meeting, prayer meetings on Tuesdays. If you can't make one, you hopefully can make the other one. We'll have one at 6 a.m. and then one at 7 p.m. If you can't make a morning, make an evening. If you can't make an evening, try to make a morning if you can. Every Tuesday for the year. Throughout the year, we're going to have announced times of fasting, sometimes from food, other times from television, social media, etc. I'll be down front every service if somebody needs personal prayer. We'll pray together. We're going to read together. We have a book of the month that we read every month this year. For January, it's going to be Revival Prayer by Al Baker. I casually recommended it a few months ago, but I'm going to emphatically recommend it now. If you need me to get it for you, let me know. I'll get it for you. Each month will be themed with a book about either somebody who saw revival or sought revival. Number nine, each Lord's Day morning, we're going to have a revival reminder, either a scripture or a quote on revival. We're going to pray as a church, corporately asking for revival. Number 10, all night prayer meetings will be called periodically throughout the year. These will be nights where we sing, pray, and seek God. We're going to do it from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. Not every week, but a couple times this year. We want to focus less on the world and more on the spiritual battle. My family, and I, I'm not going to put this on the church, but I'm going to invite you to join us. My family will be instituting social media free Sundays and TV free Tuesdays to focus ourselves less on the distractions and more on the, the Lord. 
I encourage you to take part in those. The culture is wicked. And in response, many are fleeing, trying to find cheaper, more welcoming pastures. I don't want to run. I want to fight. This is the Great Commission, church. Wickedness, evil. This is not a vacation spot. This is a battle zone. Regular church won't fight this enemy. Neatly scheduled outreach times won't do it. If we're going to win, we need to actively engage the enemy. Nominal Christianity will win no victories. I'm convinced this kind, the evil of our culture, comes out not but by prayer and fasting. In other words, we're not going to do it. God's got to do it. And we've got to turn our hearts Godward to see him move this year. We've got to seek him. We're not, I don't care what the other churches, we're not seeking church growth. We're seeking God in his person. That's what I want for us. The battle is his in the first place. In 2 Samuel 10, don't turn there, but Joab was going into battle. Listen to what he says in verse number two. He says, be of good courage and let us play the men for our people and for the cities of our God. And the Lord do that which seemeth, good, seemeth him good. Church, let's play the man for our God. Let's go to battle for our God, for the, for the, the, the word of God, for, for the souls of men, for the evil of our culture. We're not just going to vote against it. We're not just going to preach against it. We're going to take it head on this year. The fight begins here and now. And the Lord do this year what seems good to him among us. Let's just trust the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time together. This has been on my heart for so many weeks now. I think I've worked on this message for six or seven weeks. Stirring over it. Praying over it. Weeping over it. Oh God, do a work in our midst. Help us to engage the battle. But no, the battle is yours. We don't engage through traditional means. We engage by singing. We engage by preaching. We engage by evangelism. We engage our, on our knees. Oh God, give us a fighting spirit this year. Evil has gone on unchallenged too long in our culture. And we can't do it. We know that. I know that. Some people might be thinking, Pastor, what are you talking about? We're we're small and we're bankrupt. What are we going to do? But God is mighty and he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I know we can't do what I'm proposing. I know we won't change anything in our, in our city, in our county. I know we can't do that. But God can. If we'll simply surrender to him. To you. And so, Lord... We're going to battle. Do what seems good to you. And make us satisfied with what you do. Revive our hearts, O oh Lord. Revive us that we may rejoice in thee. As the song says, the glory will be all yours. The blessing will be ours. Bless us this morning. Bless us this coming year. We love you, Lord. 
We thank you for your goodness to us. You're such a great God. Beautiful, majestic, perfect in your person, your attributes, your character. You are truth. You are beauty. You are honesty. You are loyalty. You are holiness. You are righteousness. And we, we have received of your righteousness. Bless the offering to come. Bless us in the new year, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.